Bible tells us in Revelation, the final book, that the final scene in this world's history and destiny is to be revealed in heaven with the opening of the scroll. That's the subject of our study here on Search for Truth Radio in this series called Our God Reigns, the Awesome Sovereignty of God. This final Search for Truth talk is called The Opening of the Scroll. And when this takes place, it'll be the final pinnacle of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. So now here's Brian for another enthralling look into the Bible to see the sovereign awesome power of God at work. Thanks, John. Cicero once apologised for Jupiter's neglect of earthly affairs. He stated that the sovereign of the universe was on the whole a good sovereign, but with so much business on his hands, he had no time to look into details. The God of the Bible is shown to be totally otherwise. Never for one moment does he let go of the reins of the universe. No detail escapes his attention, but everything is exposed to his view. When some asked, where was God on the 11th of September 2001? The answer had to be the same as where he was on the 10th and 12th of September. As we approach a conclusion of a series of studies on God's sovereignty, what could be more fitting than to glimpse with the Apostle John the insight into the eternal future that he was privileged to have revealed to him? Before that, he saw the sovereign God upon his throne. As through an open door, he was permitted to see into the throne room of heaven. What he saw there is described to us in Revelation chapter 4. It's been said that Revelation chapter 4 is to Revelation chapter 5 what a scene setting is to a drama. God's transcendent glory is first described in chapter 4. Then the drama unfolds in chapter 5, because in the right hand of him who sits on the throne, as God is so often referred to in this book, we are told in his right hand there's a scroll, close sealed with seven seals. Our attention zooms in on the scroll. But what's in it? What does it contain? From the context of all that follows, it would seem likely that this scroll contains all of God's purposes for the judgment of the entire universe, whether for damnation or for glorification. In the symbolism of the day in which John lived, whatever is in that scroll can be enacted only if you break the seal. And so in the heavenly drama too, this scroll, with all of God's purposes, is sealed with seven seals, and a mighty angel challenges the entire universe, who is worthy to approach this God and take the scroll from his right hand? Who is worthy to break the seals and so enact, to bring about all of God's purposes of vindication or the otherwise appropriate recompense? And no one is found who is worthy, neither cherubim nor seraphim, nor the elders, no one on the earth, no one under the earth in the realm of the dead either. And John weeps, not because his curiosity had got the better of him, but because in the symbolism of the vision, this means that God's purposes for judgment, for justice and blessing will not be brought to pass. It means justice won't be served upon all that's transpired on earth throughout history. We long for moral justice, do we not? 
Every day, the newspapers and media spotlight the plight of someone who didn't get what they deserve. The widow of a murdered police officer demands a retrial if the worst the perpetrators are accused of is the reduced charge of manslaughter. Suspected felons walk free from court because of some technicality with the prosecution case or the evidence. And I suspect that even those whom society as a whole has judged guilty of terrible war crimes might fancy their chances if allowed to explain their ideology and if they were permitted to advance mitigating factors. You know, it's one of the four cornerstones of any adequate worldview that it must account for morality, which includes the desire for and basis of moral justice. At the end of God's book, this scene unfolding from Revelation chapter 5 reassures all victims and warns all villains who've ever lived that an ultimate judgment day is coming. However, the Apostle John will get to see what the scroll contains. As is stated in other places in the Bible, God the Father, the Ancient of Days, has entrusted all judgment into the hands of the Son of Man, the God-Man, Jesus of Nazareth. He's introduced here to John as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But John turns and sees a lamb. This is the most glorious and sublime mixed metaphor that could ever be. The lion who is the lamb comes from the throne itself and takes the scroll out of the hand of him who sits on the throne. He alone is found worthy to bring about all of God's purposes for judgment and blessing. As the Apostle Paul announced to the Athenians, it is the man whom God raised from the dead after his crucifixion at Jerusalem who will be the judge of all. As John watches in the vision, he sees the seals of the scroll being opened in turn, and he witnesses how, graphically depicted in apocalyptic visions rich in symbolism, he sees how God's judgments begin to fall upon those living on the earth towards the end of time. As the reader watches with John, he or she hears heaven's verdict that all God's ways are righteous and true. Then we come to the never-ending end to the last book of the Bible in contrast with the chilling way in which never-ending punishment is described for all who have rejected God's way of salvation, which salvation was ultimately shown to be through Christ, John then describes for us a scene that seems almost to defy description, and that is the glory of the environment that all who have trusted in the Lord will enjoy forever, world without end. We'll confine ourselves to asking, what is shown to be new, what is shown to be missing, and what is shown to be central? First then, what's new? Well, there's a new heaven and earth in which righteousness dwells, and located on the new earth is the new Jerusalem. Its main features are fleshed out with four images. First, it's a city, the perfect version of what once stood for complete fellowship in the place of God's choice in historic Jerusalem. Second, it's a cube, for the innermost part of both Moses' tabernacle and Solomon's temple was a cube where God's most intimate presence was specially known, but to which at those early times access was most restrictive. Third, it's a bride, and perhaps this imagery captures the thrill of the most intimate relationship where the honeymoon never ends. Fourth, 
It's a tabernacle where God's desire to reside on earth among humans is ultimately satisfied. And what's missing? I'm sure we want to know. Well, life will never hurt again, nor will bad things happen. Tears, pain, sadness, death, the curse will all be consigned to history, never more to return. Also, there's no temple. Life will no longer be split between the religious and the secular. And no sun and moon, with the possible meaning that there'll be no more danger and so no more protection necessary. That is, if we can be guided by the psalmist here, Psalm 121 verse 6, the sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. There'll also be no sea anymore. That is, the new world will be without any restless sea which surfaces things best left buried, as Isaiah graphically described it in chapter 57 verse 20. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. More wonderfully, there'll be no impurity, nothing to spoil the pure enjoyment of unsullied relationships. And so finally, we should ask, what's central? Well, there's the fountain of living waters. Surely that has to symbolise God's unending, abundant supply. As the psalmist said in Psalm 36, verse 7, How precious is your loving kindness, O God! And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Most precious of all, central to this whole scene are the throne of God, the Lamb, and God himself. What a thought. God, and not self, will be at the centre of our existence forever and ever. For sin, with its self-centeredness, will never more invade our thoughts and behaviours. Oh, that we could live our future life now. Well, helped by the Spirit, we can at least in part. Now we see God's master plan of the ages. It's to have everything united under and gathered around Christ, as is hinted at in Ephesians 1 and verse 10. To fully get the picture here, Think of how a preacher draws his message to a conclusion. In doing so, he recapitulates his main point as the summation of all that he said. Just like that, God will bring everything, everything that's in view here, into a state of being summed up in Christ, which has always been God's sovereign master plan, that Christ should be absolutely central. This is our destiny to be part of this.
Thanks, Brian, for your talk. Now, remember, these study talks are available to download online or as a transcript book. Thanks, Brian, for your talk. Now, remember, these study talks are available to download online or as a transcript book. And here's how to obtain the book. Either you can get it yourself by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media, or if you're not able to do that and need to request a hard copy book, just write in and ask for the title Our God Reigns. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, you might be interested to know that most titles of Search for Truth transcript books have been turned into ebooks and are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle hyphen ebooks. When you're in the Kindle store, just type Search for Truth Brian Johnston into the field and you'll find them. So that's it. I hope you've enjoyed this series, especially if you've been following each week and gaining a greater awareness of the awesome power and sovereignty of God. Even so, as scripture says, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. What a joy that will be, and how awesome. The poet says, but if the little that we know of thee and thine, while here below such triumph gives, what will it be when face to face thyself we see? So, I hope you'll join me again for the start of a brand new subject and series of studies, and more about that next time. But for now, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our producer, David, our singers, and me, John. So see you again soon, and in the meantime, may God richly bless you.